0: Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, The Bundesliga has provided us all with a strange insight into what football is going to look like for the coming months over the past few weeks with empty stadiums and spectatorless clashes between the likes of Borussia Dortmund, Schalke, Bayern München and co. Um, As the German top flight begins to draw to a conclusion, uh, do check out episode 25 of the Scouted Football Pod for the players, teams and individual storylines of this year's under-23 Bundesliga players. Uh, but today, we're fortunate enough to be joined by an esteemed and experienced journalist, and as of this year, an author as well, uh, Guardian Sports Deputy Editor Ed Aarons. It's fair to say has supported the work that we've been doing over at Scout HQ for quite some time now. Um, Ed has previously worked at the BBC and has been with the Guardian for, for five years now. Um, he's interviewed the likes of Jurgen Klopp and Sadio Mane lately, uh, has spent time living in South Africa and, and recently penned a brilliant book, on the history of African players in the Premier League called Made in Africa. Um, Ed, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast. Thanks for giving up your time to speak to us. Um, first off, how, how are things with you?
1: Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Uh, obviously, missing football like everybody else, but good to see that you know there is some being played now in Germany and uh, hopefully a few other places soon too. But um, yeah, everybody's missing it and uh, hopefully that will changing soon.
0: Certainly. Uh, first of all congratulations on the book. Um, for anybody who isn't aware of, of your interest, how long have you been a keen follower of, of all things sort of African football?
1: Well, I think it's it kind of began in my in my childhood really uh, with uh, England against Cameroon in the 1990 World Cup. That kind of was the first interest I had in African football and it through my through my teenage years when uh, there was a lot of players sort of arriving from Africa, to play in the, in the early years of the Premier League, like uh, Peter Unlove and Tony Yaboa and players like that, I really kind of took an extra interest in players like that. I don't know particularly why, but perhaps just because they brought something different to the game that we, I'd never seen before. And um, yeah, so over the years, I've kind of kept that interest really. And uh, when I became a journalist, as you mentioned before, I went to live in, in South Africa uh, to cover the world cup for a couple of years and work for a, a paper over there um and then since I've come back to the uk as well I've always kept my eye on on african football and players coming from there and, and gone to afcon tournaments and things like that and so yeah it's something that's, that's grown over quite a few years really
0: yeah I'm sure it's an interest that is kind of taking you far and wide and as you say I mean you can't really get much further than south africa from from our uk base um, but so you've been working on putting this book together for, for the past few years uh, and I suppose with, with some of the best players in the league hailing from Africa you know the Sadio Mane's the Mohamed Salas, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang you know there's hardly a better time to be sort of the authority on African footballers and their origins uh, I'm sure you don't want to give too much away but essentially what is, what is made in Africa about?
1: So it starts with uh, Arthur Wharton really in 1885 when he came over to play uh, English football um, uh, and he played for Preston North End and, and the book really goes on from from him all the way through to the modern uh, era taking in players like Steve McConey and Albert Johansson uh, who played in the 50s and 60s in, in England uh, for Coventry and Leeds and then talking about also other players like uh, the, the Steen family who came from South Africa and then into the modern era with players I mentioned earlier like Unlew and Yeboah and Lucas Radebe and, uh, and then really following it into, into the modern day with the uh, the more contemporary storyline, which focuses a lot on the 2018-19 season, and uh, as you mentioned before, you know with uh, Mane, Salah, and Abameyang sharing the Golden Boot, uh, and Liverpool obviously becoming European champions very much with, with an African influence in their team. So, I mean, it's a very a very wide subject, but there's so many different different stories about how these how these guys made it to to England. I think every player that's made it all the way from Africa to the Premier League has a remarkable story just to just to get there and uh, I'm just trying to highlight some of some of those uh, those stories really. Yeah I can certainly vouch for that the the book
0: is pretty spot on Um, it's a really engulfing read you know a comprehensive history with some really interesting interviews and and storylines. I only got it a few days ago but it's chock full of interesting interviews Um, not always high profile interviewees but they're always interesting because of the insight that they have. Um, that's not to say there there aren't high profile interviewees because there are, there are plenty. I mean, uh, the book opens with a pretty big character in particular. But what was it like doing the groundwork for the book? So putting everything together, arranging interviews with people that I imagine are, are pretty difficult to get in touch with and, and others who are pretty, pretty hard to find.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that was that was one of the big challenges of it. And and in fact, I think that's kind of a theme of of the book, my own uh, travails, if you like, writing the book, which took really uh, the, in, the, the idea, uh, you know, I had maybe 10 years ago, started thinking about it, but then started seriously trying to do it maybe in 2014, as long ago as that, and started trying to track down people um, from there. Um, and, and one of the first people I spoke to actually was Edwin Steen who who uh, not many people remember him he played for Luton um, like his brothers Brian and Mark um, and their dad came from South Africa uh, in in the 1950s he was uh, exiled because he was you know, a, a, a opponent of the apartheid regime and you know stories like that really that captured my interest and you know his son Brian went on to play for for England just the once but he was the first black african born player to play for England and so yeah it was really stories like that 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 made me try and look deeper and it, and it was very tricky to find a lot of people and you know i had some success at the higher end you know like as you mentioned with Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool were brilliant and and it's clearly a subject that he he is quite passionate about you know his the role that he's had in developing uh, a few African players, not not just African players, obviously, but so that got me in the door with him, but with other people, it, it was a lot harder. And, um, you know, it took, that's why I think it took such a long time to produce what I've produced because I wanted to make it a, a comprehensive, you know, history really, and um, try to get as many voices in there as possible. And it does take a lot of time and effort to track these people down and, and, um, get an interview with
0: them I mean you kind of get that impression you you want to do it justice because it's such a broad topic but one that deserves its story to be told so, so well and so you know so delicately um, just just flicking through the various people that you've spoken to for the book you know it's taken you far and wide um, what's been the most exciting or gratifying thing about putting something like this together
1: I would say the kind of the response that I'm getting now actually is is really Really, the best thing about it because you know for so many years it's been just on my laptop and it's been an idea and a, and a passion really of mine I wanted to make come uh, come true but it, it was very difficult to find anyone who who wanted to publish it at first actually it's you know it's taken a while and it's I think it's considered a, especially in the past it maybe was considered a bit of a niche subject and especially you know I've said this to people just around the you know when when. Colleagues and and friends and stuff. that I'm writing a book about African players in England, and not often the reaction's not been you know like oh it's kind of been curious, but perhaps um, a bit surprised that 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 is a subject. But you know as as, as any football fan today knows, it's African players make up a, a massive proportion of of the, well, the Premier League and around Europe really, and and it's really high profile players that are very important. So. I, I you know being able to tell that story and something which has not been represented properly in, in my opinion in the past um, that 's definitely the, the, my proudest thing about this well unsurprisingly after that
0: introduction uh, our episode today is going to focus on under twenty three football in Africa and and the path that many of these players take to Europe. Um, f- from covering under twenty-three football extensively for a number of years now, uh, one of the things that crops up time and time again is the plethora of, of young African players who've who've made the switch from their home nations to go and play in Europe and, and have an interesting story behind that. Um, you, you mention it repeatedly in in Made in Africa, Ed, that there is a tremendous sacrifice made by these young lads to to take that leap, you know, move to a foreign country sometimes where the language is different to what they've been used to and and be expected to adapt to a completely different life while performing on the pitch as 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. It's incredibly admirable that this happens routinely, and and, and it has done for so many years now. Again, something that you you discuss and dissect at length in the book. Um, With a specific lens on the Premier League, many of these young African players leave places such as Senegal, Mali, Cameroon, Nigeria, Ghana, Côte d'Ivoire, as teenagers, um, head to a lesser European league and and, sol- and a select few essentially end up in, in the Premier League in their mid-20s, or or that seems to be uh, the, the way that it goes. Um, there are a couple who've been here for a number of years now, and, and I'd say the most impressive of those who still falls within our age bracket is, is 23-year-old uh, Wilfred Ndidi, um, signed from KRC Genk in Belgium uh, as a 19-year-old, uh, he impressed there and, and was recruited by Leicester City. Uh, Ed, I'm just coming to you. What do you like about Ndidi and his game? You know, his his demeanour, his work ethic, etc. You know, is it in keeping with uh, lots of these young lads who who follow their dreams to Europe?
1: Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Ndidi. He's been superb. I think uh, there was a stat, wasn't there? I mean, it seems such a long time ago that the season was going on. But, you know, when he wasn't, I, I can't remember exactly. You know, I think that they, they hadn't won a game without him the team or they certainly had a very low win percentage when he was injured for a couple of times he was fantastic fantastic player and you're right he's he is really the perfect example of the modern pathway for african players to come to europe um you know comes through an academy in his in his home country goes to a country like belgium very early who don't have Work restriction, uh, work permit restrictions, as they do in the Premier League, and, and, you know, having to be a full international and things like that, and learns his trade at one of the best young academies in the world, where, uh, you know, so many young players have come through from Africa and elsewhere, especially Africa, though, at Genk, and arrives in England almost a finished product. But I think the, the one difference with him is that he is a bit younger than most African players, as you mentioned, come slightly, slightly older because the journey is not easy normally it takes a few years to arrive in a league like the premier league because the, the steps are so big
0: yeah you mentioned genk there as being sort of one of um one of europe's best young academies where they, where they can nurture players from from all over if i'm not mistaken i think uh, kalidou Koulibaly is is one of those players um who who cut his teeth at genk as well obviously at napoli now and the with the designs of every top european club on him but indeed he moved to Genk from from Nath Boys Academy in Nigeria uh as you mentioned for around two hundred thousand euros back in January of two thousand and fifteen and there seems to be a lot of these kinds of moves where an African country's best players are are housed in academy setups and then farmed to to European clubs often in Belgium as you say france or or even sometimes scandinavia um how important would you say they are for player development these academies and for raising funds to to help continue this process of nurturing the the raw young teenagers and preparing them f- for a step into professional football
1: so i think the academies are absolutely vital for african players to uh, establish a pathway to europe and in the book we go into quite i go into quite a lot of detail about senegal's system and really you know there's two main academies there and they've been responsible for producing so many good players and i think it really shows exactly what is possible when enough resources are given to young players in certain countries and you know good coaching good facilities good connections as well to europe you know so, uh, for example i talk about generation foot in in made in africa and uh, that's the academy that sadio mane came from and Ismail Sa as well who's at watford and doing very well and they have a partnership which has been long established now for, well, I think about over a decade because Papi Cissé also from Newcastle also travelled this route to Metz in in France um, who actually, I think, League Ligue 2 these days. So, you know, not the highest level, but it's a perfect pathway for somebody from, you know, 17, 18 coming from these academies to go to Europe. And I think, you know, the, the potential is absolutely extraordinary that you know if say say there was 10 academies that were of the same standard as generation foot and the ambars in senegal then i think well maybe it's an exaggeration but you you know you'd have so many good african players that would be coming to europe that it's possible you know they'd be dominating teams but as it stands at the moment you know it's still a system that's in development but I, i think in the next few years you know it's really gonna really going to gather some momentum if if the right sort of funding and the right kind of academies can be set up in in uh, you know various different Afri- african countries it could really be a, a great they could produce a great generation of players for the you know for not just senegal you know across the, across west africa
0: I'm definitely glad that you said uh, Diambars and General Chamfout, um first before I did because French isn't my strong suit. So now I know how to pronounce them correctly. But um, I was going to come on to, to Senegal next because you know they the, the, those academy programs are quite famous uh, in Europe and and especially with the link uh, with FC Metz that that you talk about. They're a club who are famed for producing you know people, players like Robert Pires and, and Emmanuel Adebayor, who obviously started out in in his native Togo, um, but. Back to Senegal, and you, know, you mentioned Papi Sisse, Diafra Sako, and, of course, the, the current players in the Premier League, Ismail Assar and, and Sadio Mane. Um, just at, at a more base level, while, while they're still at those, those academy systems, uh, so Generation Foot and, and, and Diambas, realistically, how long are, are European clubs such as Genk, for example, such as Red Bull Salzburg, um, such as FC Metz? how long are these European clubs scouting these players for before they sign him?
1: It's an interesting question. I think that the Sadio Mane uh, story sort of explains this quite well. In fact, he was only at Generation Foot for about six months in total, I think. And he, I mean, this just shows you how extraordinary a player he is, the talent that he had. He came from, (laughs) from, from playing in his local league to Generation Foot and then to France within, you know, six months, seven months. So I think that I think that's quite a rare process though normally they spend two or three years at generation foot and uh, the good thing about them is that they also the, the, their first team they play in the first division now in the, you know the top flight in Senegal they won the league they won the, I think they won the they were denied winning the double by the ambas in the cup final I can't remember exactly what what happened but you know and and the oldest player in these teams is 18 I think so it's really, it's absolutely extraordinary. And then they're playing against adults from the rest of the country and winning the title, winning the cup. So it's really, a really good place for them to learn. And I think clubs in Europe are all watching them. And uh, obviously Mets have an advantage at the moment with jean Foot. But it's, I think a lot is, a lot is done on, on the, you know, they try and pick, try and, in a way I suppose it is what the character of the player is going to be like as well because it, as you mentioned before it is a massive thing for young men like this you know kids really to be moving not only to a different country but a different continent with different weather and you know different customs and things like that so I think it, it's it's still quite a big risk for for clubs to take a player straight from Africa but you know the the rewards are obvious because of the talent that is that is there
0: you say it's still considered sort of a risk. And I can understand that because playing in a league where the, the, the best two teams are essentially academies, you know, that's going to, that's going to ring alarm bells for, for sort of, you know, the top clubs. But then again, you have the stories where, of, of Sadio Mane, Ismail Assar, for example, um, Idrissa Gueye, uh, who, who was at the uh, you know, these players who, who have come to the Premier League and, and established themselves as top players. Um, as an aside to that, how many clubs and what type of clubs are watching the players at these academies like Generation Foot and, and Diambas? Uh, because, you know, is it the top clubs as well? You know, are they are they aware of them uh, while they're still in Africa or, or are they waiting until they come onto the radar in places like Austria, Belgium, Switzerland, France uh, and those
1: sorts of places? Yes, generally that is the trend that they, they well, especially if we're talking about Premier League clubs and or maybe, you know, La Liga, the, the top not top five, just La Liga, Premier League, especially. They tend to be waiting for a player to have proved himself in another European league, and uh, you know, and and then make the big money move for him. Um, but that is actually, I have a, an interview with the guy uh, Sayer Sek, who who established the Diambars Academy. Um, and people who don't know, it was helped by funding from Patrick Vieira, who was obviously born in Senegal, and. Um, CSK is a is a really interesting guy and has a, it's actually towards the end of the, uh, the, the the last chapter of the epilogue he has grand ambitions for Senegalese football he's also a vice president of the uh, FA there and he told me that you know that their ambition is is to win the World Cup so you know they're really aiming very high with that but he he thinks there's there's a problem with um, the trade in youth players in Africa he doesn't think that they are shown enough respect he compared you know he says his, his best player who was played at the under 17 world cup and was player of the tournament is only worth 500,000 euros compared to a Brazilian youngster of the same age, you know, similar standard would regularly go for multi-million euros, you know, 20 million or upwards. And he thinks that that's, you know, that's still happening. Unfortunately, and African players are really undervalued on the, on the wider market. And, uh, I think that's slowly changing with you know performances of people like Mar- um, Mane and Salah, but yeah, it's still perhaps a legacy of uh, of the past. It does
0: seem to be to be rather reflective, though. I, I do know where you're coming from, and I do get where Sek is coming from there, because you know you look at the the, the fees that that clubs are picking up the, these young African players for, predominantly from West Africa, and they are they are minuscule compared to you know how far they go I mean even you, you just look at the the return that Genk made on Ndidi um in in the space of a year or the space of 18 months um and and it's it's ridiculous you, you know they're making thousands of percent rate of return on on a single player um it, it's it's incredible and, and I do Understand where you're coming from there with the the whole um, you know a Brazilian youngster of the same age will go for multi millions you know we saw at the under 17 World Cup just gone that uh, Gabriel Veron who is uh, who's a, a Brazilian 17 18 year old now um, and he was fantastic whereas you know the, the the Senegalese players or the Malian players or the Zambian players of of the the under 17 and under 20 World Cups of of years gone by you know they. They don't get the same hype around them, but they are they are picked up by these these clubs who treat the, these academies as sort of satellite clubs, um, like FC Mets, for example. Um, just going back to, to Ismaïl Assar um, and Generation Foot, we'll come back to the uh, youth international tournaments very shortly. Um, but with Ismaïl Assar, he's of course a massive success story for, for Generation Foot. Um, not as big as a success as Sadio Mane, of course, but unfortunately he's not under 23. Saar, on the other hand, is is still 22, I, I believe, and and followed a similar route to Mane. You know, joining Metz in France initially before before then moving to Stade Rennais, Whereas Mane went to to Red Bull Salzburg, and then on to Watford um, for, for near enough 30 million pounds, which is is an enormous figure um, given that. You know, he he's one of these players coming from Generation Foot and from one of these African academies where perhaps as you say, you know, the, the valuation is, is under is underappreciated. The the book goes into to great depth about Sadio Mane, uh, the boy from Bambali as as one of the chapters is called. Um but what do you know of Ismail Assar and his story and, and his route to the Premier League?
1: Yeah, I mean I mentioned it towards the end, uh Ismail Assar, and it it was really quite apt actually in terms of the storyline that um you know, the day that uh, Liverpool's unbeaten record came to an end, it was Saar, who, you remember that performance against, you know, for Watford, he scored twice and was absolutely phenomenal. And it's kind of the new generation, uh, you know, notice of the new generation was formed. And yeah, he is a really good example of uh, of the pathway, really, for African players. He, he's, he's from a less remote place, quite near Dakar. And so it was much easier for him to be scouted early on by the lo- you know in the local leagues uh, and went to general generational foot excuse me uh, uh, slightly earlier and so he has benefited from being in those surroundings from a, a younger age than mine. I think it was about 13 that he went there. So he had, you know, a few years there uh before going to Europe. And now because you know Ren as I'm sure you're aware a good finishing school as well. I know, you know, then Dembele Came through the ranks there and uh, made made a lot of money out of him, um, a local a local player there. But yeah, I mean, it's not saw I spoke to uh, in in the book. I speak to a guy called Made Torre who who helped establish on Foot, and he is absolutely, you know, <laughs> he, he's very very excited about what the potential of saw. Uh, he he is very very uh, enthusiastic about all of his players, obviously because he you know they're his players and he wants to promote them in the media and everything like that. But uh, So in the book, there's a story about how he compared uh, Mane to Neymar and Messi to me in 2014. And I almost you know, laughed at him just thinking he wasn't being serious. But then, uh, so the last time I spoke to him, which was about a couple of months ago, he said to me that uh, I did, I did this piece for the Guardian, but he said that Saul was like a gazelle uh, and that he was going to be more like Cristiano Ronaldo and would win the Ballon d'Or. So, High praise indeed, but you know, I think we've seen some evidence of his ability um, in his first season in, in England. You know, it was it was a slow start, but he's really announced himself now. Yeah, the the thing with Ismail Sarr that always reminds me um, of
0: sort of the the togetherness and the closeness of you know the the these African sides and the African academy setups of where they came through is the um, is the the little exchange between himself and, and Sadio Mane in the uh, in the tunnel before uh, the the Watford Liverpool game. It might might not have been the game where Watford beat them, uh, but it might have been earlier in the season um where Sadio Mane was like you know saying oh look after him he's a shy boy and that sort of thing and it's nice to see that you know two two players from from the same part of the world getting to the the pinnacle of of, of club football and yeah it's it's definitely it's an interesting one because i i read that that, that part in, in in the book there where um where Madi Touré, uh referenced Sadio Mane being able to be compared to Neymar in, in 2014 and and yeah it is I suppose, you know, when you think about it now, Ismail Assar being compared to Cristiano Ronaldo, thats its it sounds it sounds crazy. Um, but I, I do get the gazelle comparison because, you know, even from his first few days at Mets, um, where he was just galloping down that right flank, you know, as soon as he picked up the ball in, in a quick transition, you know, the, the entire stadium was just on its feet. You know, trying, you could hear it was audible how excited they were when this young lad, this teenager got on the ball. So I mean we'll we'll have to wait and see whether whether his prediction is, is is very present in, in six years time but um, it, it's it's interesting that you know and, and it, it is understandable that uh, that people like that are going to be so enthusiastic about about the the, the products of, of their academies. Just as an aside, you, you mentioned um, the contacts that African clubs make, and of course um, FC Mets being a very good example of that. Do you think it? it would be difficult for for an african player to make it to europe never mind the premier league um nowadays without the influence and the contacts that these academy setups
1: have yes i think it i think it would be it's very difficult unfortunately uh and that's uh, you know the historic players that i go into in the book it was it was very much a case of uh you know normally what would happen was a, an english team would go to play a match in south africa it was you know in the early days that, that, that was where most of the players came from and they see a player and he come over for a trial and do really well, but, you know, and signed directly from, from an African club, which is what actually Peter Unluv did even up till 1991, when he signed for Coventry from uh, a Zimbabwean team called Highlanders. And he was the first uh, African player in in the Premier League. But yeah, I think, uh, and also actually thinking about Lucas Sadebi and Phil Masinga both came directly from South African clubs. But I think I mean, these days, no, it's it's very rare. I can't think of a player who's come from directly from an African club to the Premier League, Maybe actually somebody like Amir Zaki, the Egyptian who was sort of 20, uh, 2006 around that sort of time. But yeah, it's very rare I think it's because the pathway is now set, and the main reason for the we're talking about the Premier League anyway is the work permit situation, which you, know, you have to be a regular international for a country inside the top 75 um and a lot of african countries aren't you know especially the the smaller countries are, are, are outside the top 75
0: uh, we we spoke briefly on on youth international tournaments before, and I suppose that's one of the places where people come across these young players uh, for the first time. It's certainly where we do, but that's one of the best things about focusing on under twenty three football. It's because of these tournaments. You know, it's it's at these competitions where you you see these never heard of before players from obscure nations, um, who through one route or another end up some of them end up making it to it to a good standard. Um, African sides in particular are always very entertaining to watch. You know, just off the top of my head, the 2017 Under-17 uh, World Cup, Mali were excellent. Zambia were, were, were brilliant at the 2017 Under-20 edition. Um, and, and Mali, again, were, were, were a great watch at the Under-20 uh, World Cup last year. Ed, you you referenced quite a lot in Made in Africa, the uh, 2012 Olympic Games, where Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah uh, were, were both playing for, for Senegal and, and Egypt, respectively. Do you kind of share that same, I don't know, romanticism of spotting those kinds of players before before they go big time, so to speak?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I really, I, I really, uh, I really love that kind of thing. You know, that was really memorable for me, that tournament, because I, I was working at, um, I was working for the Olympic sort of press service. So I was with the Senegal team for a week before the Olympics. And, uh, you know, it was really interesting because it was Couple of players who were already already in the Premier League, like Arme was there. I think he was an overage player, but the rest of them were all youngsters. And you know, Gay was there, Adrissa Gay was there, Kiate was there. Uh, obviously, Mar- Mane was there, and Aliou Cisse was the manager. And it was really great to see that. And you know, just at the time, I didn't know that these guys were going to be fantastic and you know Premier League players. But um, it's been great being able to track their progress over the years. And and likewise, I've been to quite a few youth tournaments when i was in south africa i went to the uh under 20 african tournament and it's always interesting to see what what becomes of those the people that you see at those uh those those kind of competitions definitely although obviously you know it's quite difficult to predict sometimes that not always the best players at those tournaments go on to have a good career obviously because it's quite a big difference between youth football and uh you know becoming seniors
0: um, there, there is a list of players just uh, off the top of my head in, in recent times who who lit up the, the youth international tournaments. Who uh, I'm, I'm certain who will be playing at a higher level as their careers progress. Um, there was Mo Kamara and and Crepin Diata uh, were both great for for Mali's under seventeen side and, and Senegal's under twenties in 2017. Uh, and they're at Red Bull Salzburg and Club Brugge currently but two of the premier league's malians who've essentially skipped youth international football are, are Yves Busuma and, and from Brighton and Moussa Gineppo at Southampton um they went straight to, to top sides in Belgium and France um Standard Liège and Lille um from their academy setups in Mali it, it's sort of a shame that they miss out on those sort of those, those tournament environments but if they're good enough you can understand why they are fast tracked to the, to the full international setup particularly for a nation like Mali who haven't had a great deal of international success, um, but if, at more of a club level, do the big clubs have the benefit of just cherry picking the best players in Africa if their scope of of scouting allows it? Because they've got the funding to to be able to do so and be able to to just say, you know, here's three hundred, four hundred thousand euros. You know, I'm, I'm I'm we want to take this player. It's going to be very difficult for 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 uh, academies to to turn that sort of money down.
1: Yeah, exactly. It is, it is really hard, and you know the 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 FA's all want their players to play in in these tournaments because it's a very big thing. You know, you mentioned the Olympics around the world. It's, it's only really in the UK that it's not seen as a big football tournament. I think that's fair to say. Especially you know, it, uh, in Africa, it's really to qualify for the Olympics is a massive, massive uh, thing for them. You know, because it gives them a lot of funding, but also you know a, a platform to play and in a very serious tournament with. Under twenty three players as well. It's the you know it's 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 kind of the pinnacle of youth football, really, isn't it? The Olympics, but yeah, I think you're right. Going back to the 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 clubs, you know, if if a club says here's three hundred grand for your player, then the player is obviously going to take that and think about his long term, you know, his long term career, and and international football will come after that, won't it? But I think that is when they get older, international football also causes a lot of problems for African players. You know the the amount of travelling that they they have to do, you know, in international breaks and things like that, which I mentioned quite a lot about with Lucas a b when he was at Leeds and his the amount of injuries he racked up from flying to back and forth to South Africa all the time. So yeah, it is a bit of a tug of war, you know, even more so than with um, you know domestic players and the national team um, when it comes to international tournaments. The clubs are quite, you know, they're they're quite reluctant to allow their players to. To go off if it means they're going to miss some some matches.
0: Just going back to that that comment you made on on the Olympic Games. Um, yeah, I, I completely echo that. In the whole idea that the um, the Olympic Games is massive outside of uh, outside of the UK still. And I think the one of the things that emphasises that is that it, obviously South America they have uh, an under twenty three pre Olympic tournament that they hold um, amongst sort of the best six uh, uh, nations in South America. Uh, to see who will qualify for for the Olympic Games, and that was um, that was earlier this year, obviously ahead of to- Tokyo 2020, which will be next year now. Um, but it's taken very seriously there. I think uh, it was in Colombia this uh, at the start of this year, and it was very very well supported. Just look watching some of the games and looking back, you know, you're getting f- like full stadiums, eighty percent full stadiums, and it's yeah it's It's strange to see but it's it's good to see as well because it's it's under twenty three players on display, and there's the, there's an appetite for it there um just going back to to Marley and, and those players and Musa Gineppo being one of those, interestingly, he is represented by twelve management who are an agency run by former Spurs and West Ham striker Freddie Canute. Um, and he's got quite a few promising players on his books, uh, the the likes of Patson Daka, Enoch and, Wepu and, and Seku Koita, uh, all at FC Red Bull Salzburg. Salzburg, in particular, are, are highly regarded for for their scouting of Africa in Europe, um, and and have unearthed some some fantastic players from there as well. Um, and and of course, you know, Sadio Mane and Nabi Keita being two of those. Um, but I, I'm, I'm led to believe that they're they're also very highly thought of in Africa as well. You know, essentially, how much, how, how far is their influence felt on on the African subcontinent?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. You're mentioning uh, Mali quite a lot, and and yeah, they they are producing some unbelievably good players, and especially in the last five years. And I think it's only a matter of time, really, before they become quite a big force in, especially in African football. Um, but yeah, I think uh, kanute's has done an amazing job. I have actually spoken to him about this a few years ago when Sekou Koita first came over and it's very exciting to see what they're going to you know how they're going to develop in the next few years and you have to say i mean Salzburg and the red bull scouting is really really comprehensive and is doing some some wonderful things for african players but uh you know they go in and play for us thing is i think the team's called fc Liefering in austria they play it's an amateur team and you know they it's similar to the generation foot idea they come in and they're playing um they're playing you know men's football effectively not not the highest standard but men's football when they're sort of 17. so it's a good way of a good way of developing and I think that model is going to be very much you know it's being definitely being looked at by a lot of clubs especially in Germany who have started to import a few more younger players from from Africa now in the last few years it's starting to happen a bit more um So yeah I think it's very very interesting to see what happens there in in that respect. Yeah, Liefering is a
0: very interesting setup that that Red Bull Salzburg have got there because you know they're they're a second division Austrian side, but it's as you say it's men's football and it gets these players ready it, essentially like a like when Premier League clubs loan out their their young players to get a, a taste of men's football in in the football league for the first time. Whereas you know Salzburg have that link as Liefering being a satellite club, and it has produced some fantastic players, the likes of of Patsen who who who. Um, is obviously a Zambian international has played in the Champions League. Now, uh, you know he was there at Liefering. Um One young lad coming through, Kari madiyemi he's, he's been promoted to the Salzburg first team because he'd done so well at Liefering this uh, at the start of this season. Um, it's very it, it's it is indicative of a club who know sort of what they're doing and how to set up a pathway. Um, are relationships between clubs in Africa, clubs in Europe, and and specific agencies like Twelve Management. Um, are they very important in in your experience of of getting players the right moves because I was reading a piece by Nick Ames in in The Guardian uh, about salzburg's scouting of of the two Zambians Daka and Mwepu and It was intriguing to see that the owner of Kafu Celtics, where they played uh, at the time, uh, was reluctant to, to accept lucrative offers from from other sides until Salzburg came in with, with an offer of their own. You know how important are these the, the agencies and the links that certain clubs have? Um, for
1: for getting the right moves for players, yeah, I think that's that's undeniable. They they're really important, and and that's that's kind of a from the from the players' point of view, you can you can see why they would want to go somewhere like that because they can see the evidence in front of them that you know there is a pathway for them to to get into the first team really, and and that's going to help, isn't it? It's like a snowball effect. If uh, one young player goes to a country then and is a success, then I think others are going to follow them. Um, and it's yeah like i say, it's really really good credit for to to Canute to get for getting some more Malian players into Europe. He's using his position and his success that he you know to create uh to create opportunities for for younger players and young the next generation
0: just on that topic of Mali and sort of becoming more of a an African football and powerhouse in the next five years or at least more competitive. Do you think it's something we'll see more of in the next few years? You know, African players who've plied their trade with a club like Salzburg or a club like FC Met um, making the jump to the top five European leagues, uh, including the Premier League, even from nations, you know, such as Mali, such as Zambia, who, you know, haven't exactly got uh, an incredible history in the Premier League. I think there are only two or three Zambian representatives um, in nearly 30 years of Premier League history and only a handful more Malians. Do you think that could possibly be the case?
1: Yeah, I think we're seeing across Africa actually some of the less well-known, you know, football uh, hotbeds are really becoming, you know, uh, uh, producing players. You know, we just seen Mbwana Samata uh, become the first Tanzanian to arrive in the Premier League, and you know, scored in the Carabao Cup final. And and as the as the world gets smaller, if you like, you know, not notwithstanding what's happening at the moment with the pandemic and everything, but as the world gets smaller and travel becomes easier, you know, it's more possible for players from less fashionable countries, if you like, to become, to make that trip to to Europe. And But the Premier League is always going to be, you know, a difficult barrier to overcome just because of the work permit situation. So for a 17-year-old to come straight from, you know, Zambia or Mali or Tanzania or wherever, straight to the Premier League, I don't think it's going to be possible without, you know, some kind of, clever circumventing of the rules, basically, because, you know, obviously FIFA bans transfers under the age of 18 for international transfers for players as well. So it's really going to be quite difficult for the Premier League to get players directly from Africa. I think that pathway is still going to be exist. And, you know, it, it is quite a, becoming more and more of a lifeblood, really, for European clubs to trade, you know, to the to leagues like the Premier League get players in from Africa or wherever else in the world, you know, young, good young players and, and sell them all for a huge profit. For sure. Um, you know, you've had, you know, Nigeria,
0: Cameroon, Côte d'Ivoire, Algeria and, and countries like that have, they've all kind of got a rich history of of, of players in the Premier League. You know, they've, they've all had a flurry of stars. You know, I mean, Didier Drogba being one, you know, Riyad Mahrez, those, those sorts of players. Um, they've graced the Premier League in the past 20 years and left an indelible mark. Um, the history of them is, is, of course, covered at length in, in Made in Africa, um, and and I suppose with you as as the authority on African football, where where are you anticipating sort of the next handful of, of African players to to play in the Premier League to come from? You know, do you expect a, a more North African influence, such as the likes of Riyad Mahrez? Um, or I mean, I, I do appreciate that you know the work permit thing is, is a is an issue, but you know, in terms of the the African players who currently are in Europe, you know, places like Belgium at the moment. You know, could there be a, a, a more of a resurgence of, of West African players in the form of the likes of um, you know Samuel chukwezi and, and perhaps Victor Osman, um, You know, making Premier League moves.
1: Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth, actually. Uh, especially chukwezi is a phenomenal player, and lots of clubs are looking at him at the moment. Uh, well, were I'm sure they still are, actually. And I think yeah, West Africa, especially Nigeria, there's a they've had a little bit of a quiet time in the last few years. Obviously, they, they have what have won the Afcon. Not too long ago, but I think there's a, a, a good generation there bubbling under. If, if but The problem with Nigeria has always been the pathway. There's just so many players there and, you know, creating a good pathway for, for them to come to Europe. It's not always the easiest ones. Whereas the, the sort of francophone countries, there's always been a natural, you know, progression for to French clubs and Belgian clubs have been quick to establish connections with, uh, you know, French speaking countries and so that that's made it easier but yeah we've mentioned mentioned Marley as well i think there's going to be you know um a player i really like is haidara who's not done that much so far at leipzig but i think that is that is to come you know he's going to he's going to be a really top player um do haidara and yeah i mean as i said before it, it's really exciting actually just to think that you could be from a country you know anywhere that is it hasn't got a massive football tradition and if you but if you're good enough now there's more of a chance that you could make it at the very highest level than than ever before I think and that's that's really good to to know isn't it that you know anyone in the world can can be a can be a superstar now even if you're not from a rich country or a rich background hopefully.
0: Yeah of course you've got Nabi Keita from Guinea who who's been blazing a trail for, from a country that doesn't really have a very rich footballing heritage there either, and and ju- just you mentioned that Amadou Hadara there from from Mali, and that completely sprung my brain into action with um, Diadi Samaseku as well. So I think yeah, there's definitely some some interesting um, developments going on there in terms of how Mali will be on the on the global football sphere um, in in the next few years, um, because they're all of course you know twenty five, twenty four, twenty three, and under. Um, I suppose on that note, and having spoken about Chukwueze and, and Osimen as well, um, who would you say sort of are the African players that you like who who currently aren't in the Premier League but perhaps you could see in in the Premier League maybe when they they're twenty six, twenty seven coming to coming to England?
1: Yeah, so I think it's actually a bit younger than twenty five, twenty six. I think now Premier League clubs are really looking to bring in African players or all kind of players really, but you know twenty two, twenty three. So Chukwueze and Haidara. And awesome, and the perfect sort of you know, the, the, the perfect kind of age and profile that clubs are looking for now. Because I think, and, and the fact that Southampton and Watford uh, are, are you know, they're, they're clubs that look to the future, they realize that you know, to inv- you have to invest a bit of money in order to make those big transfers in a few years' time. You know, I can imagine SAR. Sol- Going on to you know, for sort of sixty million pounds like that, or something like that, or even more in the future. Um, in terms of other players, um, I'd like I'd like to think that there's there's going to be loads and loads that we've never heard of, that are going to come to the Premier League in the next few years. I think the African football, although although uh, there has been lots of success stories in the last few years, you know, we mentioned in the book a lot about the Golden Boot being shared by three players. In fact, the numbers overall numbers have dipped in the last couple of years but I think the success of people like Mane, Salah and Mares, especially is really going to, we'll see a trend of clubs maybe taking a bit more of a punt on an African player than than they might have done in the past.
0: I suppose that can only be a good thing in kind of debunking the the stereotypes that taking a, a a punt on a, on an african player is mo- is more of a risk than taking a punt on on an English or a European player um, because at the end of the day they you know they're, they're coming through these academy setups themselves um, so why shouldn 't they be at the same or, or even a better standard um, I'm, I'm sure we could delve deeper into to the various narratives of of under twenty three African players or or dissect made in Africa chapter by chapter, but I do want to leave you with some spare time today, Ed, given that the weather is so nice. Um, but thank you for, for speaking to me today about, about a topic very close to your heart with which you've considerable expertise in, um, do, do you have anything that you'd like to p- promote for the time being and, and essentially
1: how can people get hold of your book? Yeah, thanks very much. It's been really interesting and great to chat to you. Um, yeah, I th- it's coming out on the 1st of June and it's on, uh, available from all good, good shops and online, obviously and none of the shops are open in the UK, uh, as yet. But so you can get it from Amazon. If you go to my Twitter, which is ed underscore Aarons, double A R O N S, then you can, uh, then I've got a pinned tweet with a link to, to the book. And hopefully it's going to be featured by a few papers in the next couple of weeks as well. So you can read some extracts from it to whet your appetite. Excellent. Uh, Definitely
0: pick up uh, Made in Africa if you want to be enveloped in more history of of African players' roots to to the English Premier League. It is a fantastic read. Um, Please remember to subscribe, leave us a rating or or review or or some feedback on Twitter or Instagram if you've liked what you've heard. Um, Be sure to check out the back catalogue of of scouted football episodes. Um, We've spoken to various experts like Ed, but from different areas, you know, the south of France, Norway, the English Football League and, and many more as well as a handful of players themselves. Um, we've also just released a volume six of the Scouted Football Handbook and that is available to, to buy on sfhandbook.com, um, which does include a few African players, uh, including the likes of Pat Sendaka, um, who I had the pleasure of, of, of watching and writing myself. Um, but unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Um, I've been Joe Donoghue uh, and this has been the Scouted Football Podcast with the Guardian's Ed Aarons. Um, bye for now. Take care.